First thing I want to share this morning is that uh, there's no better place I'd rather be this morning than right here. And I hope that you still have that same attitude that when you come and worship with us, this is the best place that we could ever be on the Lord's Day. Um, I do have some sad news, however, to share with you. My wife shared four scary words with me last night. Um, those words were not, by the way, I want a divorce. And she didn't say that. But she said these four scary words. She said, um, your hair is thinning. Um, and I woke up with a start this morning at 5.30. I just, that's all I could think about is my hair is thinning. It's finally, it's finally come to that. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving to us the family of God. That we never have to stand alone on this earth. Um, we have your people to be our support, our encouragement, our comfort, our help. Um, thank you for the body of Christ. How when we come to faith in Jesus, he implants within us a desire to be part of the family. And we thank you that it's an eternal family, a family that will never end. And Father, we, we thank you for this church and we ask that you help us to be a, a light to our community so that not only do they know that we care, but they know that you care. That they know that there is a, a God in heaven who, who loves them so much he, he gave his son for them. So we pray that you might use us as a church family to, to reach others for the Savior so that they can know him too. Father, we pray for uh, the Vacation Bible School that's going to be starting tomorrow. Pray that all the things that have to be done would be falling into place. That you might provide the helpers, the materials, the kids. And most importantly, that your spirit would work in their hearts. We pray for those that have been in Mexico this past week and are returning home today. We pray for their traveling mercies, uh, both the group from here in Oregon and the group from Idaho. We just ask, Lord, your, your, your mercy would be upon them. And we pray that there might be lasting fruit where they ministered to those kids and to those moms and dads. And then, Father, we pray uh, for Dale and Rosie and their son. And we just ask you might strengthen them day by day. Thank you for being sufficient. May uh, you speak through your word, Father. 
we don't want to waste our time here. We want you to do something in us. And so we pray your presence would uh, be invited into our hearts as we listen to the word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please excuse us for a moment. I'm going to give you the quote of the week before you can see it on the screen. The quote of the week is this. We only fully grasp the gospel when we understand, as Paul did, that we are the worst sinner we know. Now let me read that again and then I'll explain it. We only fully grasp the gospel when we understand, as Paul did, that we are the worst sinner we know. That's a quote from Tim Keller. The reason he said that is he was reading through 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, where it says that this is worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he added, of whom I am chief. But when you come to know Christ, you come to realize that you are the worst sinner you know. <laughs> you don't look at other people. You look at your own heart. And when you look at your own heart, you know that you need a Savior. And you understand completely why Paul said what he did in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. This is worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And uh, it's a great quote. If you would mind taking your Bibles, it'll really help you today to look as we study together Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. The original goal this morning was to uh, cover the whole chapter, but as the week went on, I realized that I can't do that. Um, there's too much there. And so we're going to just look at part of it this time, and, and uh, we'll look at the rest of it a bit later. But we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1. Good job, Caleb. Good job. Thank you. 
There's your quote of the week from Tim Keller. And now we begin. He ain't no angel. Okay? Folks in the church and folks out of the church have always shown an interest in the subject of angels. So we're going to give you a test this morning and see what do you actually know about angels. Question number one, and it's all true and false. The word angel literally means shining ones. False. Uh, the word angel literally means messenger. Just messenger. And sometimes the word angelos in the Greek meant an angelic messenger, and sometimes it just meant a human messenger. So, angel means messenger. Question number two, true or false? Oh, there's the answer. <laughs> number two, the one book of the Bible that contains the words angel or angels more than any other book of the Bible is the book of Daniel. True or false? Somebody said false. And that would be correct. Because the book of the Bible that contains the word angel or angels the most is the book of Revelation. But it might surprise you that coming in second place are the books of uh, Judges and Zechariah. Which I wouldn't have thought of um, until I looked it up. Number three, true or false? In the Bible, only three angels are identified by name, that being Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. Somebody says false, and that is the correct answer, because only two angels are actually identified by name. Well, Raphael is also an intertestamental angel that's found in the Apocrypha. But I didn't want to get that detail. Number four. Angels are the spirits of departed saints. Nah. That's not one. It was true or false, not nah. False. Uh, angels are a special creation of God. You find that in the book of... Um, Psalms, you find it in the book of Nehemiah. Number five. On the cross, Jesus said he could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him from his betrayal and his death. False. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's false. Now the song says that, <laughs> the song says he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set them free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. But that's the song. But in scripture, actually, um, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said he could have called 12 legions of angels. And a legion... Is 6,000, so 12 legions, he was saying, I could have called 72,000 angels. Now, if he had called just one, that would have been enough. Read the book of Revelation, see what one angel can do. He could have called 72,000 angels and been delivered uh, easily from the Roman and Jewish oppression. Question number six. 
Angels had a part in giving the law on Mount Sinai to Moses. True or false? That's true. Um, how can you say false? I just covered that a couple weeks ago. What's <laughs> Actually, the Old Testament doesn't tell us that story. But the New Testament does. It tells us that God used angels as an intermediary between him and Moses. And it was actually angels that presented the uh, tablets to Moses on Mount Sinai. That's one of the reasons the Jews had such a regard for angels. Because God used them to give the law. His holy, righteous law to His people. Number seven. The followers of Christ will one day judge the angels. Oh, true they say. The answer is true. First um, Corinthians 6.3 explicitly says that. But it's probably the evil angels that we're judging in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3, not the holy angels, because they did not sin, therefore they would not have degrees of judgment. Number eight. Angels are sometimes pictured engaging in spiritual warfare on our behalf, real battles which are unseen to us. Very true. You read about that clearly in Daniel chapter 10. Number nine. Angels were present at the creation of the world, shouting joy at what God was doing. That also is true. You find that in the book of Job. Um, the sons of God are shouting for joy, it says. And it's referring to the angelic host. And then number ten. Angels were instrumental in bringing the judgment of God on Sodom and Gomorrah and on Pharaoh and Egypt and and on the children of Israel in the wilderness. True. Um, in fact, it says in the book of Psalms that God sent a band of destroying angels to his people in the wilderness. And they executed judgment upon the unbelieving children of Israel. Number 11. Only uh, 89 to go. Number 11, man is a little higher in the created order than are the angels. Oh, we have a difference of opinion here. The correct answer is true. No, false. Uh, angels right now in our condition are higher than us. In fact, it says in Hebrews that when God sent Jesus, he made Jesus a little lower than the angels. But now, crowned with glory and honor. So, in our earthly existence right now, as even Jesus, we are created a little lower than the angels. Number 12, the prefix ark, as in archangel, means chief or first so that an archangel is an angel with the highest ranking. But nevertheless, he's still an angel. Is that true or false? That is true. Uh, the title archangel is only given to one in Scripture, and that is to Michael, who apparently, from what I understand, rode a boat ashore. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, you have to be a little older to understand that one. Okay. Did you know that there are religious groups today who believe that in some sense Jesus was an angel? One Sunday morning in this very room, a brother in Christ came to church and in the course of our conversation, he, uh, he related that during that week he was talking to a friend and, and the friend said, did you know that the Seventh-day Adventist church believes that Jesus was Michael the Archangel? I said, I don't think that's right. And he says, look it up. So that afternoon I went home after church and I looked it up and sure enough, the Seventh-day Adventist church believes that Jesus was Michael the Archangel. So here's what they say, and I'm quoting from their own book, the Seventh-day Adventist answer questions on doctrine. Here's what they say. We believe that the term Michael is but one of many titles applied to the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. But such a view does not in any way conflict with our belief in His full deity and eternal pre-existence, nor does it in the least disparage His person and work. In other words, the Seventh-day Adventists believe that Jesus was Michael the Archangel, but not an angel as we think of angels. They still believe in His eternal pre-existence. They believe He's part of the Godhead and Michael the Archangel at the same time. And I did not know that. So I learned something new. But the Jehovah's Witnesses also believe that Jesus was Michael the Archangel, but in a totally different way than the Seventh-day Adventists. At their website, they say this, The Bible indicates that Michael is another name for Jesus Christ before and after his life on earth. But contrary to the Seventh-day Adventist church, they believe that Michael, another name for Jesus, was a created being by Jehovah God, the first and direct creation of God, that Michael was the virgin-born child of Mary, but at that point he ceased to be an angel. Then after his spiritual resurrection, they don't believe in a physical resurrection of the body, contrary to the scripture. They believe in a spiritual resurrection of Jesus. And when he rose from the dead, the Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus resumed his identity as Michael the Archangel. Therefore, Michael is another name for Jesus Christ before and after his life on earth. Well, there's one thing of which I am sure and you'll find out today that uh, Jesus ain't no angel. In any way, shape, or form. Listen to the Word of God from Hebrews chapter 1, all 14 verses. And just listen real carefully. Or follow along in Scripture real carefully. It's very important, I believe, to see this. He says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, 
whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants. And here it's referring to angels. This is Hebrew parallelism. He's saying the same thing two different ways. He makes his angels winds, his servants, referring to the angels, flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a parch, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same. Your years will never end. And to which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit this salvation? The Son is superior to the angels. The angels are servants of God and of those who will inherit salvation. And the Son ain't no angel. The Son is the Son, the angels are servants. They're not the same. Hebrews chapter 1 is divided into two sections. The first part of the chapter contains seven superlative statements about the Son. Seven statements that are in no way true of any angel. And the last part of Hebrews chapter 1, if you noticed, are seven supporting scriptures about the Son. Seven quotations from seven Old Testament texts substantiating the claim from Scripture that the Son is greater than the angels and that Jesus ain't no angel. So this morning, because of the restraints of time, we're only going to look at a few verses. But are they loaded? Seven superlative statements about the Son. Now look at what the writer of Hebrews says about the Son. In the past, God spoke 
to our forefathers through the prophets and many times and in various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son in the past God spoke you cannot know the mind of God unless God makes himself known to you God takes the initiative to reveal himself to mankind God spoke some say it's impossible to know God and to know about God and to know the mind of God but Hebrews chapter 1 says that's not true God spoke God made himself known God has not been silent that's God's proclamation. In the past, God spoke. But then it says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers. The book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians, Jewish believers. But they were struggling with their faith. And so the writer of Hebrews says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers. And the forefathers here refer to the children of Israel that you find in the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. So in the past, God spoke to our forefathers. That's God's people. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. An Old Testament prophet was one who was chosen by God to bring the Word of God from God to the people. Some prophets were writing prophets. Those are the ones that most of us remember. Prophets who wrote down, as well as spoke, divine truth. Prophets like Moses, prophets like Samuel, Prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah, prophets like Micah or Malachi, they're known as the writing prophets. But some prophets were not writing prophets, they spoke only. Prophets like Nathan, who spoke to David. Prophets like Ahijah or Elijah or Elisha or Jehaziel or Hananiah. In the past, God spoke and God spoke to our forefathers and he did it to the prophets and he did it at many times and in various ways various ways such as with an audible voice various ways such as in dreams or visions various ways such as an angelic visitation God spoke God spoke to the prophets and then the prophets spoke to us. Sometimes they spoke audibly. Sometimes they spoke in written form. Sometimes they acted out many dramas to communicate divine truth. But they spoke. And what they said and what they wrote down and what they did is what God wanted said and what God wanted written down and what God wanted done. So for generations, God spoke 
to the children of Israel through the prophets, God's prophets. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. In previous days, through the whole Old Testament period, God spoke, but He spoke to the prophets. But the writer of Hebrews says, in these last days, I'm often asked, do you think we're living in the last days? We have been living in the last days until Jesus came. We've been living in the last days until God, uh, since God sent His Son. So, yeah, I believe we're in the last days. In the past, God spoke through a multitude of prophets. In the last days, God spoke through, not a multitude, spoke through one. He spoke through His Son. When the prophets spoke, you'll read hundreds of times them saying something like this. The word of the Lord came to me. And then they speak. Or, thus saith the Lord. And then they would speak. But when you read the story of Jesus, you don't read that. Jesus does not say, the word of the Lord came to me. Jesus does not say, thus saith the Lord. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you. You see the difference? The prophets had delegated authority. But the son had personal authority. When he spoke, he spoke with personal authority. The son was the climax, the culmination, the finality, the fulfillment of God's revelation. God has nothing more to add to His Word. His Son was the last Word. The Son makes God's revelation complete. So the Son is greater than all the prophets who spoke to our forefathers. Igmar Bergman was a 20th century screenwriter and considered one of the greatest movie directors of all time. And, and he had a real imagination. You have to be if you're in that kind of business. And one day he was imagining that he was in the 19th century and he went to a great cathedral. And in his mind, he's walking around the cathedral and he comes across a picture. And it's a picture of the sun. And he looked at that picture and he said to that picture, speak to me. Well, you can imagine, picture did not speak. Picture was silent. And he waited. No voice was heard. The year was 1963. That was the same year that he produced a film entitled The Silence. And Bergman admitted that the silence referred to the struggle that he had with the silence of God. It's really a sad story. But Bergman himself was a sad figure. He was raised in a Christian Lutheran home. His dad was a pastor. But Bergman concluded that in his life and in his film, God was silent. 
He lost his soul believing a lie. God is not silent. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. In these last times, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has spoken. And so the writer of Hebrews begins by declaring, God has spoken. He's not silent. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Now the writer of Hebrews gives you those seven superlative statements about the Son. Just one right after another. The average person on the street does not think of the Son in these terms. And I'm not sure the average churchgoer, the average believer, thinks of the Son in these terms either. But these terms should, should cause you at the end of this message to just bow before Him in silence and in praise. Because this is what the Son is like. Here's what He says. Whom He, referring to God, whom He appointed heir of all things. The Father has appointed His Son. Son. 